I, it's rainy. It's real rainy in Seattle right now. Yeah. Boy, you, oh boy. Are you feeling uh, sleepless? Or are you and uh, you and Tom Hanks going to go canoodle later at the, uh, at the Space Needle? I just, no, I just like the idea of doing that currently because the city is wildly empty. So I would just love the idea of somebody walking into a diner and just like really disturbing the wait staff by having making like all those sounds oh like, yeah while they're, eat- that, while that's they're when, eating the um, soup. okay i gotta say that i gotta i gotta cut you off here that was when harry met sally oh was, is it yeah oh when, oh yeah. man oh. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. God, fucking damn it all right well let's just let's cancel the podcast this week I you get you. you got you got email <laughs> you got mail <laughs> oh, wait no it's it the the name of it is definitely you got mail <laughs> I, I i like i like the, like the like i don't know like moldovan knockoff versions like you have an email <laughs> you got the email <laughs> yes that's right you ha- yeah you have received an email <laughs> yeah yeah um but anyways uh it's not just a regular ponzi scream this week um we have a lovely guest from the podcast well there's your problem uh which is a podcast about infrastructural disaster. Oh, uh, Justin yeah. Rosniak. Justin Rosniak oh. is here. Hey, hello. I'm here. I'm here on the podcast. Oh, I'm so thank you. Thank you for being here. We appreciate it. We love. We love to see it. Um, how are How are you doing? How's Philadelphia? Uh, well, uh, it is sunny in Philadelphia. Um, right. Not Ooh. always, but today it is. Dude, you guys, man, too many cities with uh, weather. <laughs> Prepositional phrases afterwards. Sleepless in Seattle, sunny in Philadelphia, a tired Jew in Brooklyn. That's not a movie, but like, you know. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Yet. Not- <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, David is Jewish. Just to let everyone know, David is if anyone, Jewish. If anyone wants to make the movie. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's that's that that's a not that's a knockoff Moldovan movie. David is Jewish. That, <laughs> yeah, that's just that's just um uh, um uh curb, curb that's just curb your enthusiasm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm watching uh, Shit Creek a lot. Yeah, yeah, David yeah. Justin, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Ah, uh, no problem. I'm always happy to be on more podcasts. Have me on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, I um, I have to say, just for any of the listeners out there, too, uh, I literally asked because you said that. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember when, uh, but probably somewhere around eight months ago, I was listening to "Well, There's Your Problem," and you were like, "Please have no airs about having me on your podcast," and I was like. <laughs> I will have zero airs then. Here we um, go. Thank you for answering the email. You know, uh, it's the first step. That's always the hard part, you know, because then you're like, I'll get to this later. And then you forget about it. And then it's six months pass. And <laughs> I mean, David and I, David and I both did stand up for many years. And uh, there's nothing there's nothing worse than uh, just like, oh, I'm going to take this email and um, I'm going to pretty much flush it down the toilet to this booker <laughs> who's never going to answer. They're going to, they're going oh, yeah. to treat, they're going to treat this like, treat this like the trash it is. Nothing, <laughs> nothing like looking, looking at your email inbox and seeing like, seeing like the digital version of crickets. 
Yeah, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I always related to uh, the to Gmail, where on the very bottom, if your internet connection was just like a little shaky, it would just say something's not right, and I'd be like, "Man, you know, you know it, Gmail. <laughs> you know what's going on." <laughs> yeah. So anyway, today we're going to be kind of like mixing. Or I'm going to be, try to mix the, the 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 two aspects of the podcast, uh, uh, you know, with our guest and the uh, you know the tr- attempted in the most seamless way. And we're going to talk about something uh, and someone who is very fraudy, very white collary kind of. Um, I guess if you wanted to put him on that, he's nasty. Um, he's nasty. He's a nasty guy. He's not a good guy. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Robert Moses partially and also what happened uh, at East Tremont, the neighborhood of East Tremont, uh, which for the record is a neighborhood uh, in the Bronx, I would say oh, yeah. Central Bronx, something yeah. like that, you know. And in the spirit of uh, the guest today, I have created a slide deck. Um, I probably should have mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, but whenever uh, you guys can both look at the deck, so you have visual uh, and a visual idea of what I'm talking about. And just whenever I say next slide, you know, you can go to the the next slide. And and for the listeners, it's going to be in the podcast episode description. Yes. Oh, fun. Yes. Yeah. Uh, for people who want to follow along, I, I will say uh, I am one of those psychos who listens to "Well, There's Your Problem" with no visual uh, um, stimulus. It's just me at doing bike messenger shit and just listening to you describe, uh, like, okay, so this is the the you know tensile strength of 441 steel. And being like, oh, yeah, <laughs> here we go. This, this uh, is this is concrete legs, Mike, right here. Uh. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, all right. So got everything set up here. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and just proceed. Um, do you guys see, David, do you see that apartment complex? Oh, it looks great. Oh, I love the, gr- the green tops, the green little pointies. You, you oh, like yeah, that? They, they did a good job on these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that is 705 Crotona Park North. Uh, oh, yeah. it, mm-hmm. It's right up against the aforementioned Crotona Park and is smack dab in the middle of East Tremont. Um, this building uh, was built in 1916, uh, which is about as old as the building that I currently live in. You're going to live in a lot of 100-year-old buildings if you live in New York. Uh, I have never personally been inside this particular building but i did ride by it one it's a time residential, when I was, it's a residential thing yeah it's it's a residential um looks like it's about four or five uh stories um and i rode by it when i rode through crotona park about three months ago on the way to laconia which is in like a northeast portion of the bronx adjacent to co-op city i was delivering a package nice um i don't know who lives there um, but I do know that in the 1950s, it was a multi-generational family where different parts of the family lived on different stories. And there was a ton of fucking kids because it was like 1959-ish and the country was smack dab in the middle of the baby boomer generation. You know, oh, yeah. it was a bit bunch Every, of Everyone bunch had of kids. 73 kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This is this is prime time for, you know, home movies of people smoking inside. Uh, 40 year olds who look like 60 year olds 
and like grandma lives on the top uh, level or rather probably the bottom level actually and then the the parents and the kids live in the middle and then you know probably like a pedophile lives on the top level you know it's it's all sally draper (laughs) sally draper was making cocktails for don and serving them at a cocktail parties and stuff same period well same yeah same time period uh that's happening probably 70 blocks south though i would say uh yeah yeah. (laughs) um go to the next slide I tried to find a couple images of this period. This uh, right there—that's the Fox Crotona Theater on the left. Ooh. I don't. Yeah, it's a it's a lovely little theater. It opened around 1912, closed around 59 when it became a warehouse. Um, the Wikipedia apparently said it played vaudeville, so it was probably a lovely place to watch a train come <laughs> at the screen and just Terrifying. startle. To, yeah, <laughs> terrifying. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the ring uh, for the time. Yeah, <laughs> the, the latest Ari Aster feature is just like a boat slowly appearing in the distance and scaring the crap out of everyone. Yeah, they didn't have uh, they didn't have porn theaters at the time, so it was just like guys creeping in so they could watch Triumph of the Will or something like that. Or, <laughs> or uh, what's uh, what's that other one? Birth um, of a Nation. Birth of a Nation. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. That's the one. That's the one that I watched in film class uh, about 10 years ago. And uh, for fun, five years ago. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, just for fun. Just yeah. just for fun. Um, yeah, on the right there, you see a bunch of the, the boomers that I mentioned. Uh, it's kind of hard to tell because it's in black and white, but it is actually somewhat of a multicultural scene. There's a lot of Puerto Rican kids, a lot of white kids, some Jewish kids, et cetera, et cetera, Eastern European uh, and that's because East Tremont in the 40s and 50s was actually somewhat integrated, uh, unlike other neighborhoods. You know, it wasn't necessarily like, um, you know, the Upper East Side or the Upper West Side, where it was strictly just like the the very white, you know, um, it, or uh, Harlem you, or Williamsburg. What do you think like, was, like the, the, was this like a working class neighborhood, middle class, upper class it was a working class. It was a working class as part of the, that's actually one of the things uh, that I'm going to get into. And you might be asking yourself, like, well, why are, you, why are you talking about this building? Why are you talking about all this stuff? And I'm talking about it because that building at the beginning, 705 Crotona Park North, that was actually home to my mom's family back in the day. Oh. My mom grew up. That's right. She grew oh. up in that building at 705 <coughs> Crotona Park North before moving over to Yonkers uh, in the 60s and 70s. Um, cool. And I know all that stuff because I've seen the home videos. I've seen the boomers running around, the, the, the children, the, 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 you know, the Rainbow Coalition. Um, and it's a weird kind of juxtaposition because this is in East Tremont, which was home to one of the weirdest like PR infrastructural engineering disasters, which is next slide. Oh, it's the cross Bronx uh, parkway. Yay. Yeah. That's, that's right. Yeah. Um, the cross Bronx parkway. What can we say about it? Um, you know, Keep in mind, you know, throughout the development of the uh, of New York City in the 20th century, there was plenty of highways and parkways that absolutely destroyed people's lives. There was, yes, 
There was a lot of them. Um, the, uh, the the Brooklyn Queens Expressway did lots of that. Uh, the Belt Parkway, um, the Triborough Bridge. These are all things that messed up people's lives in like uh, uh, Astoria, Sunset Park, uh, portions of Williamsburg, and what have you. Were there any? Um, were the- there any highways to Hell's Kitchen? <laughs> I, I, I was about to say, yeah, I think one of those was planned. That was one of the ones that got canceled. There was supposed to be three major highways that went right through across Manhattan. There was the uh, Midtown, the proposed Midtown Expressway, um, which, if I'm not mistaken, I think was supposed to just basically slash right through like 33rd or 32nd Street. It's fine. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just, yeah. <laughs> I've seen I've seen renderings of it where the idea was they were going to run the freeway about ten stories in the air, and they were just going to have it punch through buildings. And it's a real, it's like a real metropolis vibe for yeah. sure. Can you imagine uh, being in the build in in the building on the floor right below the highway? Just constant fear. Just, I cannot imagine how it's death defying that would feel. I, I was about to say, yeah. I hope they, uh, I hope they have a way station before, uh, before the trucks get on that yeah. bridge. You know. <laughs> oh my God! Just those 1950 era diesels, just like, <laughs> just like abs- absolutely making just like a, a theme park of just vibration. Um, it, it, it would have been like where the MetLife building is right now in New York City, which used to be the Pan Am building. Right. Where where uh, the traffic literally drives through the building, and you kind of look at it now, and you're just like, "Oh, that's fun. I like that. That's kind of a a, a goofy little it uh, is. Si- thing." Yeah. Uh, and then multiply that by like e- twenty easily, like you know, like going through that many buildings. You know, it'd be worse than uh, being in the office underneath the highway. Would be the one right above it, and someone has an overheight load. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I always, I always think of that one building in South Carolina that is conspicuously one foot shorter um than all other uh crossings. It's a train. It's a train track. So like for literally 3 decades, um cars and trucks that were just like a little bit too tall would try to go under it and just get can opener. All right, the 11 foot 8 bridge. That's a good one. They just raised it. It sucks. I mean, it was it was perfect. It was a testament to people who hate box trucks and yes. just like uh, all just because like you. I mean, you watch those YouTube videos and it's like you know what's going to happen. You're, you're coming. You're coming for a very similar product every single time, and it's to watch <laughs> a, a, a U-Haul just get absolutely like the security deposit ripped off of it. You know, it's 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 beautiful. It seems like something that like if you're a henchman in a James Bond film that you should really be careful of in the next chase scene. Yes. <laughs> this isn't going to end. James is going to get away, but you're, you're toast buddy. Oh, if you are an extra in Goldfinger, you better watch out. Uh, <laughs> that's going to, that's going to be real bad for you. Um, but today we're talking about the cross Bronx and a couple of things that it did. Number one, uh, the horror it wreaked on the populace both before and after it was built. Uh, number two, the money it cost to build. And number three, uh, just kind of the logistical nightmare it took to make it. 
And you might be asking yourself, well, who made this? And I will tell you, it was just one of the few Yale graduates to give George W. Bush a real run for his money on how evil he was. Uh, Next slide. And that's, oh, the big man himself. Oh, Robert Moses. There he is. There he is. Oh, there he is. (laughs) Look at his face. Probably... Yeah, dude, that's uh, I want to based on the map that's behind him. I want to say that was taken in like 1960 because that looks like World's Fair design stuff. Yeah, he was that was like his last thing. It's a world World's Fair. And that was something he screwed up so badly that, you know, it kind of kind of fucked over his career um <laughs> he very famously there was a world's fair this is a side but there was like a world's fair commission and uh he you know when you have a world's fair you want to have um you know countries that are participating in your world's fair but a lot of them um didn't want to do it because the robert moses wouldn't let them do it to like their specifications or you know some some odd little detail like that these 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 country exhibitions are a little too ethnic i think (laughs) (laughs) how about some american countries can we do that yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. well funniest the funniest one was how they let spain in at the time which seems innocuous enough in 2020 times until you realize that at the time uh francisco franco was in charge (laughs) so there was a lot there was a lot of open dictators uh coming in uh at the time for the world's fair Fair, yeah (laughs) um just some notes on the uh, before i really get into this uh this presentation was essentially fueled by my desire to actually get through the power broker um i don't know if you guys have read it or not uh Mm -hmm. it it really gives the stand it's 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 right there with the stand in terms of uh just uh long heavy books el El grande right there it's the yeah it's the non-fiction man it's the non-fiction man's infinite jest it's so what everyone has in the background of their Zoom calls on, like the news and crap, so they can show how well read they are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, um, I don't know if you, uh, but uh, you know, full disclosure, I I read it sort of. Um, uh, I audiobook read it. Oh yeah. Uh, that was that was the only way that I could get through it. The uh, thinking which man's I, book. I'd highly recommend it because Robertson Dean from, I think, Deep Space Nine reads it and he has an amazing baritone voice. It's beautiful. Yes. But yeah, Justin, how long do you think the audiobook is? I've been telling I've been telling uh, Gabe and David for weeks now. How how long do you think it is? I'm going to guess 36 hours or something crazy like that. It is 66 hours. 66 (laughs) hours. Wow. It is 66 hours of content. Uh, it took me uh, like months just to just get through it while I was riding a bicycle delivering food to people. So if it were thirty six um, hours, he'd have to read that book in a soprano, you know, just kind of like. And then <laughs> people kept telling people kept telling me listen to it at one and a half speed. I'm like, no, I'm I'm not a monster. All right, to, those those people are weird. I don't like those it's people. Weird. I don't trust. I don't trust you if you listen to a podcast sped up. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, just for anybody who is following along, though, um, if you want um, most of the citations that I'm using for this, that's going to be coming from Chapter 37, which is called One Mile. Robert Moses kind of looks like Mitch McConnell, doesn't he? Well, he's you know he's uh, he, he's certainly in the same league of uh, uh, effectively wielding power. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like if Mitch McConnell and Rahm Emanuel had a child. 
Yes. It's like, damn, why why can't we have these people on our side? <laughs> Everyone's just fucking hot and ineffective on the left. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, one thing I was saying was, you know, keep in mind that, like, he never had a bridge fall over due to negligence, um, and he never went to jail for any financial crimes. Um, so he, he kind of, like, perfectly walked the bleeding edge of both financial crime and just sort of like inappropriate uh, engineering and architectural design, uh, so to speak. Uh, but it does make his life somewhat unique because he did it for decades. You know, he was essentially in power from 1930 to 1960. And wow. uh, but yeah, large swaths of that time, he basically... Um, was kind of able to push things um, full bore whenever he decided an idea was worth doing. Um, he also sort of facilitated this transition in financial crime for the time because in early 20th century New York City, um, crime was way more obvious in how it was <laughs> dealt with. It was... It was painfully obvious. Like one of the more corrupt Tammany Hall mayors of the era was uh, Jimmy Walker, and he was mayor in the twenties. And at that time, he had situations where, like, his accountant would have like a ledger, and it would say like fifty pounds of concrete asphalt for et cetera, et cetera. Crimes, fifty dollar, fifty. Yeah, 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 crime, yeah. <laughs> And it would just you, crime like the word crime would like literally be on the ledger. Yeah. But uh, Robert Moses very much ushered in and was part of the wave of people who instead of writing crime on the ledger would just put a uh, consultant oh, or yes. uh, cons consulting fee. Uh, Robert Moses that was, a, was that the was first neolib. <laughs> very much very much so he uh he he very much did that um and uh i think um you know before i talk about him the best way to describe him oh next slide so we're on the fifth slide now um this is uh this is what he was basically involved in in the greater new york city area so there's there's also keep in mind there's more stuff out on long island uh wow and he also made a power dam in upstate new york wow um yeah best basically like the best way to describe his impact is um on the next slide here uh number six uh it is impossible to say that new york city would have been a better city if robert moses had never lived it is possible to say only that it would have been different mm -hmm. uh that is the best way to describe him um there are still people now who basically have large contentions like no what he did was actually good and you know uh i think more Recently, there's been a much more vociferous debate on, like, actually everything he did was bad. Um, but really, all we can know at this point is that it would uh, have been different, you know? Oh, so some of the biggest uh, things it looks like is he built highways. He built highways. Yes. He was the parks commissioner. Um, so he built a lot of parks, built uh, or little parks, teeny little guys. Okay. Um, playgrounds, cool. swimming pools um lots of lots of recreational and athletic facilities and not so much in terms of like a general use park that was one of the one of the 
innovations Robert Moses brought to the world of parks is, you know, rather than having a nice open grassy field or something like that, it's like, no, this is going to be, you know, a bunch of poorly maintained baseball fields instead. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was his big thing because, you know, in the early 20th century, you had, you know, flawed characters like Teddy Roosevelt who were very into like shooting rhinos in the face uh, but also one of the things he said was like, you have to conserve is, you oh, know, yeah. you, there's con there's conservation, you know? Yeah. And then people like that, like Ansel Adams, who would take pictures of, you know, uh, the Yellowstone national park and be like, look at this, you know, uh, look at nature and all its majesty and beauty. We have to conserve this. Robert Moses was much more in the recreational, uh, point or, or basket. So it kind of feels and looks like conservation for a second until you realize you're just you're putting a bocce ball court that'll fall apart in 20 years. Putting your legs yeah. up, Robert uh, Moses. Was did, did Robert Moses was he the guy who put in all those like really weird like exercise gym equipment that sits outside? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just like a, uh, in yeah. random places in parks. You guys know what I'm talking about? The fitness the, trails. Yeah, no, I've, I've, yeah, the fitness trails. Yeah. Yeah, there's there, for people who don't live in New York City, there's these weird, I guess, sort of like tension based uh, exercise equipment. Yeah, you know, there's not there's not weights on them. They're like springs. So I guess that's how you're supposed to get absolutely yoked out of your mind um, <laughs> in, in New York City. Uh, I will say, though, fun fact, I recently saw one of those uh, in the neighborhood I live when uh, which was Bushwick and uh, Robert Moses was going to build an expressway smack dab in the middle of bushwick <laughs> he was going to do that it was called it was going to be called the bushwick expressway so uh rest assured the 1970s could have been even worse than they were for that neighborhood uh at the time in, that, in the fact that it wouldn't exist anymore <laughs> yeah yeah it would just it would just look like um running man you know it's be memorialized uh, uh in name by the freeway that destroyed it <laughs> Yes, yes, exactly. So this is the earliest picture of him that I could find somewhat easily. Uh, This is actually literally from the book, The Power Broker. Uh, Moses, so you guys know, he was born 100 years before I was born, which is 1888. Uh, Wow. He was was part of the lost generation or those who likely fought in World War I. However, Robert Moses was probably the last thing from lost as he did not fight in World War I and was hilariously well off for the time. Uh, He was... One of the last recipients of what you might call the Gilded Age. He was very much like Rockefeller, where his success was essentially rooted in his grandparents' accumulated wealth. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Cool guy. Yeah. Very, yes. Very cool guy. He earned um, being born be- by his grandparents. By his <laughs> grandparents. Yes. Yes. You gotta, you gotta, um, earn, you gotta, be, you gotta earn that. Um, yeah, don't quote me exactly on this because there's numbers all over the book on this, but in 1900 money he had, or rather his family had about a million bucks in assets. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, having a million dollars in 1900 is the equivalent of about having 31 ish million 
in 2020 money. Damn, um, that's almost as much as Ponzi scream makes every year. I know, man. Yeah. Um, Damn. <laughs> so leftist podcasting is the only growth industry left in America. That's what I always say. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. You can't. You can't just be a little Lord Fauntleroy anymore. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he had butlers. He did equestrian shit. Um, he literally grew up two blocks away from Yale in New Haven, Connecticut, uh, where he did eventually go. Uh, his wealth he, was whoa, whoa, built whoa, whoa, whoa. up by... He grew up two wait, blocks wait. from Yale? Yes, on Dwight Street. So yes. he, just went, he just went to... He went to college at home. Like he just yes, what a what a louse! He went to community college. <laughs> I mean, I mean, look, point, I'll give him a little bit of points because he was a Jewish guy, and oh, yeah. uh, Yale, uh, not super into the Jews at the time. <laughs> not, I mean, keep keep in mind in 1900, the Skull and Bone Society is 80 years old, so uh, you know they've got they've got their traditions set oh, <laughs> or yeah. even by the time he goes to college oh yeah uh you think they enforced yeah. uh, on uh, some kind of on-campus housing requirement they made a move two blocks into a dorm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> modern day colleges would acquire that sort of shit you know yeah like back in the day like college used to just be like the place where your grandfather and father went and you were gonna mm -hmm. needed to go to before you could take over the law firm or whatever and, and like they did not care about like your on-campus housing experience and like whether you had enough extracurricular extracurriculars and like now the whole college experience is completely manicured and they will require they'll totally require you to move two blocks and because you <laughs> need to have access to the rock climbing wall and the only way to have access to the rock climbing wall <laughs> is if you have a student yeah. ID yes. card and if the only way to get a student ID card is if you are an on-campus resident you know like that sort of shit. Yeah, no, they, the only difference between uh, now and then is uh, instead of a student ID card, Yale probably just has, like, a cursed skeleton key. <laughs> like, access to the ice cream sandwich cabinet. You, you, had know, to wear the, currently have. you had to wear the right tie, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. There's all four crux uh, yeah, in every exactly. tie, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay. Uh, Sick, dude. Okay, I, I I skipped ahead to look at the next slide. Hell yeah, dude. I don't know what this means. <laughs> I don't know what this means, but I'm you, stoked to find out. <laughs> you'll well, uh, you'll 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 find out, David, because there. You know, I'm about to talk about his father, Emmanuel Moses, because he ran a series of successful drug stores uh, that did allow them to move to New York City around at the turn of the century when he sold them off, but. The reason he sold them off was because he was forced to buy, and then this is next slide, his uh, uh, Bella Moses, Robert Moses' mom, who um, was, I, I don't know, there's not, there's not really a good term for it. She, she hectored him. She hectored him uh, very, uh, very intently, and Robert Moses was an intense mama's boy. Very, yes. very in love with his mother. Um, I am just, like I, really... I, guys, I'm just biting my lip on the self-hatred, <laughs> all the anti-Semitic <laughs> jokes I could be making right now. I'm just going <laughs> to let it all slide by. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, and like, look, it's not like he hated his father. It's just, um, even in the book, they kind of mentioned that he was just a bit of a ghost. 
like he would just exist in their house and like start to have a conversation and then his mom would just sort of talk over him and just be like, oh, nobody, nobody gives a shit, dear. Okay, like, okay, 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 okay. I, got, I got one. I got one. So this, okay, um, okay, okay. This, uh, this kid comes home from school one day and he says to his mom, 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 I got a, I got a role in the school play. And she's like, oh, great. Oh, great. What is it? And he's like, well, I'm, um, I'm playing a Jewish husband. And the mom gets furious and she says, I need you to, you need to go back to school. You need to march back and talk to your teacher and say that you want a speaking role. <laughs> uh, uh, that's, I haven't heard that one, David. That's very good. I like that. Yep. Oh, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> thank, 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 thank you. Yeah, so there wasn't any love lost between them. Um, it's just that his mother was uh, incredibly influential in his life. She was very involved in local groups um, that sort of, you know, helped uh, Jewish refugees from Europe, Europe who were immigrating at the time. Nice. And she was uh, obsessed with civil service. Um, that is essentially why Robert Moses became who he was. Um, next slide, number 10. Uh, it is worth noting, though, that Robert Moses was uh, very smart. Um, he was uh, excelled early on. And sooner rather than later, he figured out that civil service work was what he wanted to do. Uh, which pleased his mother to no end. Uh, he was built like a tank. He was like six foot two, handsome, charismatic. Um, he had longevity on his side. Uh, he died in 1981. Uh, so, wow. yeah, he lived to be like 92, something like that. Um, it's also extremely well documented that all into his life, even into his 80s, he would dive into the Long Island Sound and just start swimming. And many times, he people just thought he drowned. He had been out there for so long. Um, he was a very, very, very strong swimmer his entire life. It actually is one of the impetuses, impeti, uh, one of the reasons that he built pools. You know, if his name was pools. really Moses, then he could just part the waters. I mean, come on. Like, it's not even. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, he went right through. He went right through those things. Yeah. Um, yeah, he studied at Yale. Mm hmm. Uh, at Oxford, and he got his PhD at Columbia. And you might be asking yourself, well, Danny, this guy sounds big and strong. How bad can he be? Uh, and it turned, <laughs> As we know, uh, the stronger you are, the better of a person you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're bigger. Yeah, they call them strong men because they're so great. You know? uh, yeah. And it turns out, uh, next slide, uh, incredibly uh robert moses was an asshole uh and he wasn't just one of those assholes where everybody hates you uh he kind of ebbed more on the sociopath by uh borderline personality disorder side of things Sick. uh he was uh incredibly charismatic very charming um all the good stuff however he was very very stubborn and if he wrong and if you wronged him um he ruined your life, and that's really not much of an exaggeration. <laughs> uh, he is, um, I know it seems hack to describe him this way, but he is very much the synthesis of a person like Jeff Bezos and Donald Trump. You know, uh, Donald Trump, he's kind of uncaring, doesn't really mind what's happening. He's very singularly focused in that he cares about himself and his own, um, you know, pursuits. And Jeff Bezos also is hot. kind of this. Yes, incredibly <laughs> smoking Bob. Uh, I, I love I love it when you smile, Don. You look so handsome when you smile. Yeah, you love, I love it. I love it. You look so handsome. Ooh, I 
bet you. And then you know Jeff Bezos, he is sort of this uncaring automaton, but he's he's you know it's like he's got a a fast processor in his brain. He's very smart. And Robert Moses, he's just kind of the both of both of those guys, you know. Uh, remember how I mentioned how his mom, you know, helped out with Jewish settlement in New York City? Uh, apparently, you know, that feeling was much more of like a patriarchal imposition than anything else. Ooh. You know, there was a lot of uh, Russian and German Jews uh, coming to New York at the time. Oh, yeah. And uh, Bella Moses worked with this uh, foundation called the Madison House that um, basically helped people emigrate. But, quote, uh, two characteristics of Madison House were uh, soon became apparent. One was a characteristic shared by many American German Jews who traveled to the Lower East Side in carriage and cab from their servanted enclaves. Remember, this is like the ultra-rich uh, Midtown Upper East Side at the time. Uh, it was characteristic that their chroniclers called their uh, quote-unquote philanthropy. However, in reality, this was closer to patronage. For while the motives... Uh, pushing these people forward to help the poor Jews were, in fact, manifestations of what is referred to as zadaka or the religious principle of charity. You, you pronounced it Historian... exactly right. I did? No, no you didn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> they have found that many American Jews, solid, respectable, uh, and Americanized, were embarrassed by their gruff, uncouth, shaggy-bearded, conspicuously un-American counterparts. Quote, the people, end quote, the Germans thought were loud, pushy, aggressive, and quote, the dregs of Europe. Nice. Uh, the, <laughs> the, American, the American German Jews even coined a term for their co-religionists, a word uh, based on the fact that many Russian names end with the letters K-I. Now, I will not be saying any slurs on the podcast today. Oh, that's where that word uh, comes from? <laughs> yeah, man, it's weird. <laughs> of course, the it's German really strange. Jew. I'm sorry. Of course, the German Jews. I'm a German Jew, but like, of course, German Jews came up with that. That's they're the most anti-Semitic ones of all. When, when I mean, you can always blame the Germans for like lots of bad stuff. I mean, you know, the Germans are oh, constantly yeah. doing bad things. I mean, look, they can make a hell of a mirror and a watch, but oof, <laughs> at what cost, you know? Yeah, and it's really important. I'm, I'm saying this anecdote because it's important to note that what Bella Moses thought was what Robert Moses thought. Mm -hmm. You know, his building and construction was very much rooted in an I know best mentality, you know? And also pr probably some disdain for the poor, right? Like, it's, it's important yeah. to know that, like, German Jews... German Jews were much wealthier and much generally much more integrated in like normal, you know, bourgeois cap, you know, cosmopolitan society um, than like all the Polish and Russian Jews, which were like ninety yes. percent of the Jewish population. So uh, you know, so it was uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of class stuff in there too. I had a German Jewish grandmother, and she was um, great lady. She she was like growing up, she would tell us this term that was like a way to describe someone who was low class she was like yeah people oh, no. would throw this word around it was called hinter berlin which means behind berlin so a way of calling someone white trash would say that they live east of berlin basically oh my oh yeah wow. yeah yeah so yeah that's yeah well i mean it, it, it's funny she never said that I mean, she just said that it was a term that existed 
Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, you're absolutely right. That, that like that sentiment very much was, was sort of like a it, it's very class based at the time. And remember, Robert Moses, ultra rich, oh, yeah. ultra rich for the time. Um, he and and remember also he's also Jewish, but he was he was basically an atheist and was pretty anti-Semitic. This is this is the classic tenure. book Jew versus money Jew scenario, right? Like like money Jews like Robert Moses and like Mike Bloomberg are like, are really, really looked down upon book Jews or just like shtetl Jews. It's a, it's a, it's a big, it's a big problem we have in our, I did not realize that this episode was going to be as Jewish focused as, as, as it has become. <laughs> <laughs> just tell uh, me when to yeah. shut up and we can just talk about municipal stuff. Um, no, no, it's, it's, it's important to mention. Um, I mean, and also I should mention he was just regular racist too. Like he didn't like yes. black people. Oh. Like- <laughs> Famously. Yeah. He also did yeah, not like yeah. the Swedes. That was an interesting one. Really? Oh uh, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's fun. Yeah. It's got some whimsy to it. Yeah. He, I mean, I don't think, I don't think I'm going to, getting too much trouble for this because i am part italian but like he was very well known for just calling Laguardia a guinea all the time like he not the uh, airport the person the, the, yeah Fi- fiorella Laguardia. <laughs> yeah he called he called him uh he called him all the italian slurs which i mean in 2020 are are fun italian <laughs> slurs are fun the, in 2020. Yeah. the only man he respected in like any fashion was al smith uh yes they're they're bromance yeah they oh, were bros I loved it. <laughs> al smith yeah david sucked, didn't he al smith was uh, oh, oh well okay justin i don't know if you can maybe speak to it because like i got my impression from reading the book was essentially that al smith was like he was absolutely a tammany hall piece of work but he was genuinely grew up a poor person and did try to help people yeah, I, I I haven't read the book in a while. I remember Al Smith did come off as like a pretty genuine guy, even if he's you know, I, I mean he's he's pulling the uh, the patronage strings everywhere. You know, he has he's. I mean, keep in mind Tammany Hall is a real and absolutely still happening thing at this time, and Al Smith is absolutely part of it. But he was a very genuine person. He was the governor of New York and ran for president in 1928 and lost against. Yes. Against Herbert Hoover. And he always, from what I heard, he really resented FDR after he took power. And he ended up being kind of like um, anti-New Deal because of uh, Roosevelt's success he was a little bit jealous of or something. Yeah. Uh, he had a very, I mean, Roosevelt, uh, um, you know, he kind of prom- <laughs> promised, like, he's like, oh, I'm going to be nice to you and everything. But you know, Al Smith, he was like he was kind of a busybody. So, you know, when he when he was not governor anymore and he didn't hold any elected officials, he just kind of got pissed. Like he got he got just pissed and old. Uh, uh, I believe <laughs> I believe he died in the 40s. But a fun anecdote is that Robert Moses, like the one like maybe the only nice thing he's done for anybody, period, is that he opened the Central Park or no, he revitalized the Central Park Zoo. Almost specifically for Al Smith because Al Smith loved animals. Oh, and he gave, he, yeah, he loved animals, and he would like he gave him a key so he could go in at any time, day or night, and just say like say hello to the elephants. That sounds like like the, he, that sounds like the ending to Home Alone too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Robert Moses. The way 
he i mean it's it's a it's a well-known fact that he was uh pretty racist towards black people but one of the ways it manifested itself is literally in his architecture and design you know a lot of the original parkways that he created um that would go to jones beach for example uh and places out in long island they would have bridges and overpasses that would go over them but instead of being i think like 11 feet they would only be 10 feet which effectively stopped buses from using them and i don't know if you know this but poor people use the bus so oh my uh, god are you kidding me no he did it like he made these uh and like a lot of them had these like beautiful facades on them and everything like that but they were specifically for cars uh he he also later on in the 40s 50s and 60s like refused to get rid of or excuse me uh, acquire right of ways 20 feet to the right and left of highways and expressways that would have been land that you could have been you that you could have used for a train essentially or or subways oh yeah um, he couldn't and, stand the long island railroad and the long island railroad yeah. just really went to shit under uh robert moses's uh, uh um period of influence he hated it so much actually that like even in like the 50s when like ap- like post war you know you have a you have communities who like live in long island it's become like more of a community essentially so you have businessmen like don draper types who live out there right they would like take they would take the long island railroad in and it would be like this rickety ass 1920s thing with broken windows and like it was falling apart and during the winter it would be like 30 degrees inside there and yep. it was like this hilarious juxtaposition where like they these are guys who are you know making more money than they could possibly imagine and actually achieving like a middle class lifestyle and they're riding this like hilarious like like train that's falling apart you know so why did robert moses believe in cars so much like what what david you dovetailed perfectly into my next slide next slide uh uh number 12 uh beautiful beautiful uh so uh here's a here's a question um does anybody know why this picture on the left is wrong franklin delano roosevelt is driving Uh, no it it does involve who's driving though it does yeah justin knows yeah. yeah uh david do you know do you know why this picture is wrong oh this is like a puzzle from like i, for, I, don't, I, I don't from like reader's digest there's something <laughs> wrong with it you know i'm not gonna just t- just go ahead and tell me well uh robert moses never learned to drive a car yeah uh, he he yeah he created like a hundred hundreds of miles of expressways um fucking hated trains with all of his might um and this picture is a staged picture i believe sometime in like the 50s of him supposedly you know paying a toll booth which is another thing he didn't do (laughs) you know he never paid tolls well it's funny you know he drove a fucking big ass packard uh, limousine um, uh, for most of the 20s, 30s, and 40s. And then uh, in the 50s and 60s, drove a Cadillac and never never paid a toll, uh, which was, a, a, I mean, a big imposition of the time because back in the day when you created an expressway in New York City or a parkway, um, the way it would work is um, when the parkway was being built, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but um, uh, 
you would impose tolls so that it would help pay for whatever bond issues got made to fund that bridge or parkway, what have you. Yeah. And then after they finished uh, completely financing everything and paying everything back, um, they'd get rid of the tolls. They totally, they would, they would, it's kind of unheard of today, but they would remove the tolls and then people could just ride on that bridge or what have you for free. Um, But Robert Moses, um, and I believe the Triborough um, Authority uh, reversed that 100% and made it so that these bridges and uh, tunnels and et cetera kind of remain told uh, in in perpetuity. So I I think, I mean, I... That sounds right to me because I got to do repairs and stuff. Uh, But like they, okay, tell me Robert Moses was parks commissioner in New York, but he also had a couple other, he was also in a couple other organizations, some of them, which he founded. What what were those really quick? Oh God, off the top of my head. uh, I mean, he was, he wore many hats. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he was, he was triborough authority commissioner. I'm, I don't, I don't know if commissioner is the right word. Uh, He was the long Island parks uh board member or something like that the beth page uh he had a construction weird like construction building position he was a part of a an electrical power position as well that's how he made the dam up in messina uh yeah he held i i know the number to answer your question david he held at, at his absolute height of power he held 12 simultaneous oh my god uh, positions. oh my yeah. god yeah 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 jesus uh it's what it's what you'd call a conflict of interest <laughs> it was also the, it was also the secret to uh, getting so much stuff done in such a short period of time though is because he he owned all these public agencies he could um or he was in charge of all these agencies public authorities so on and so forth you know all these authorities could coordinate it with each other really well because there was only one guy who who was making decisions it was just Robert Moses talking to himself in the mirror. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, I think they kind of make a point of it in the book. You know, like it doesn't. I mean, he lived under, or he rather, he worked under like five mayors, fucking five presidents, um, all this stuff, and most of his shit happened. What he wanted to be, get built usually got built, and it was because he had such amazing leverage um you know once he became uh more involved specifically in new york city as opposed to just long island um that's why so much car infrastructure got built and the problem with this is that you know robert moses didn't really have a perception of what it was to drive you know like i said he was always carted around in limousines and because he was constantly busy doing work he just used them as offices so it didn't really matter if he was in traffic or what have you he had access to all the stuff he always needed and was always going places so he never really felt what it like that that ennui of being like stuck in traffic and like not having not being able to go anywhere you know um, also, you know, like I said, he was um, born in 1888 when cars were being invented. So his concept of a car was much more of his like a pleasure vehicle. You know, this is like, uh, this is like if yeah. Steve Jobs didn't use a computer or like. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, this guy is like, is this like guy that. is like Mr. Highway. That's like really what he 
loves more than seemingly loved more than anything, and yet he denied his most indulgent pleasures from himself. And he got into road building through uh, parkways, right? Which were, as they were originally conceived, it's supposed to be like a nice, pleasurable, scenic drive, as opposed to what parkways have become, which is just another, you know, car sewer. But this one has curbs and brown signs. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. No, the, the concept of commuting did not exist. You know, people would get in their fucking Packards uh, in 1912, you know, and just be like, oh, we're going to go out to the Jones Beach Recreation Center. <laughs> you know, like that was that was their experience. You got a good, good old and, Stanley steamer. You got to park yeah, it every yeah. 12 <laughs> miles because it doesn't have enough steam to keep going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, in cities at the tur- at the turn of the 20th century in cities, you weren't getting around in cars. You're more likely being uh, carted around in horse-drawn buggies or this ingenious new invention from France called the bicycle. Like that was the bike was a huge, huge popular thing at the beginning of the 20th century. There were literal track racing events in Madison Square Garden a hundred years ago. Uh, And uh, the car really only became more commonplace. Uh, in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and and so on. You know, they were not built well. They they didn't last. Um, you know, like Justin was describing, they had they they broke frequently, and they were largely novelties. Um, and more specifically, they were vehicles of the middle, upper middle class, and the rich. Which leads me to my next point, number slide number 13. Uh, Robert Moses was the first Karen, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, he, he was a big, big time Karen. Uh, what I mean by that is whenever he spoke about being a public servant or serving people, what he was really saying was, I am will, I am going to serve my people, which is the upper middle class and the very rich and white people. That is who he was trying to serve. And the, bir- you know? and the, and the bird watchers of Central Park. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, and I, and, you know, this is, kind of a, a weird little side bar, but Moses was a huge pioneer for the day because for the 38, the first 38 years of his life, he was essentially an unpaid intern, which is this, which I mean quite literally like every position he held up until then he was volunteering for, and he was wholly taken care of financially and otherwise by his mother and his wife, oh. which is only possible because he was, rich yes <laughs> that was the only way he could do it uh there's funny anecdotes about how when he studied at oxford before he went he was like somewhat well put together you know as much as you know he, he looked nice for the time um but after he left oxford in england he took on that sort of like shaggy basement dweller you know elbow patches like under you know lifestyle and kind of looked like a mess a lot of the times and his mom and his wife would routinely buy his underwear, uh, his suits, uh, and his wife, Mary, had to give him pocket change to make sure he had money with him. Like he. <laughs> oh, well, that's no- absolute- that's normal. Come on. You got to have you got to have your lady give you some walking money, <laughs> some wa- some walking money for your yerba mates and what. Yeah, dude, uh, come on. I mean, any self-respecting man will give his will have his girlfriend give him kombucha money yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
But he truly was clueless to how real people lived, and, and that's reflective in his building style, whether it's his like low bridges, uh, how he built parks. By the way, he built almost no parks in Harlem. I wonder why. Uh, and how he just thought about people who were not him. He was, he was very pretentious. He thought everybody was below him. He thought he was smarter than everybody. Uh, a fun fact is that he actually designed and constructed a bunch of swimming pools in, so that they were a couple, couple degrees colder because he thought that, quote, black people don't like cold water. Uh, that was, that was, everybody was the rabble to him. Everybody who was not him was the rabble. And, and yet, were a- and yet, he is in charge of like all municipal public infrastructure. It's it's yes, yes, very- <laughs> so literally every single thing. <laughs> yeah, um, did he ever hold uh, elected I think- office? I mean, this charming guy. No, no, that was one of his. <laughs> that was one of his strategies, right? He's a he's he's a dedicated public servant, not a, not a politician. That's why he was, you know, he was relatively well liked for most of his career. Uh, he had a good public. Uh, there was there's a good public opinion of him because you know he's mm-hmm. he's trying to play up. I'm a I'm a dedicated public servant. I'm not I'm not like these power hungry politicians. Despite the fact he had you know consolidated more power in his several positions than anyone has or will ever. Um, yes. He's got yeah, like all it's like Robert is- Moses, Robert Moses and Alexander the great. Maybe, you know, those are like the two. <laughs> yeah. He's got like it's, all it's of his really- titles on his shirt. Like it's a, like they're military badges, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He look he looks like those sheriffs in like Arizona who are trying to look like the army. So they just put a bunch of ribbons on their, <laughs> on their breast, <laughs> their breast pocket. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, as Justin is saying, um, I, the, I think one of the best examples of, what he's describing that sort of unabated power is um, what happened with the battery park tunnel, which I'll just very briefly talk about uh, slide 14. Um, So, I I mean, uh, David, I don't know if you know this, but you know, we're all familiar with the battery park tunnel. It's a tunnel that goes underwater. Um, But for a while, it was not supposed to be a tunnel. It was supposed to be a bridge. There was going to be a battery bridge. And it was all Robert Moses's idea and what have you. But and, you know, why is that bad? Why is that bad, Danny? We have the Brooklyn Bridge. We have the Manhattan Bridge. Those are staples of New York architecture. Why not a battery bridge? And the problem with that is, is that the Brooklyn Bridge and the Manhattan Bridge were built in 1883 and 1909. And the construction of the battery bridge was supposed to happen in 1940. And suffice it to say that Manhattan had been... Uh, grown quite a bit <laughs> in 30 years. Oh no, no, I just I'm just saying like it would have destroyed large swaths of uh, Battery Park, and uh, it actually, it, which you know, the only really reason that this bridge didn't get made is because I think Eleanor Roosevelt uh, protested, and then uh, even after every city commissioner and every sort of like uh, bureaucratic. Uh, group had okayed the bridge it still had to be approved federally so what happened is the war commission had to approve it and again at the time fdr is president eleanor roosevelt doesn't like the bridge so she says have the war commission nix it and say that it's like a liability in wartime and that's 
why it didn't get made. <laughs> it literally took the president of the United States to stop Robert Moses's plan. And he still decided, you know, just to just to really twist the knife in. If he wasn't going to get his bridge, he was still going to do as much damage to Battery Park as possible. He tried to get um, Castle Clinton torn down. Um, he managed yeah. to he kicked out the aquarium from there, at least very, very suddenly, like in the middle of the night. It's like all the fish are going in bags and we're putting them on a truck. Uh, yeah. There was an aquarium Castle in Clinton. Lower Manhattan? Yes, David, yeah. there was an aquarium, oh, a beautiful aquarium. Fuck that. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, no, uh, uh, Castle Clinton being where they do store all of the adrenochrome uh, currently. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, he destroyed. He he almost destroyed Castle Clinton. The only reason it didn't get is because after FDR died, Harry Truman, I believe, stopped it and, and said, no, this is a landmark now. Um, but he was out of spite about to basically destroy it. And he did successfully destroy the aquarium, which is why it's now all the fucking way in Coney Island. Like, way, way, way at the very end of the uh, of the subway. Uh, and keep in mind, it used to be like, people love people love that damn aquarium. But they he just just like, no, fuck that. We're destroying it right now. And then yep. it was gone. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, this kind of brings us up to the present over the, um, you know, uh, up to slide 15. Um, so, East Tremont in its current form, a bit of a rough place. Um, you know, a little a little rougher rather than uh, not rough. Uh, it's uh, the out of the 48, or excuse me, it ranks uh, 48th precinct out of 56 out of safest uh, uh uh, per capita crime areas, and that was in 2010. Uh, there were some non-fatal assault rates of 152 out of 100,000. Uh, East Tremont on Belmont rate uh, rates of violent crime is higher than the city as a whole, as well as their incarceration. But it has much more humble kind of working class beginnings. Uh, next slide. Uh, uh, this is slide 16. Human remains that I was in there. Is that? Um... Is that the, isn't there like a British yeah. TV comedy show called Human Remains? What's it about? I don't know. I just I just thought I'd heard of it before. Is, is that is that? I don't know. I was just wondering what the, I was just wondering what the image said. Did they like find DVDs of that or is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So we're on sixteen now. We're on sixteen. Um. So this is East Tremont in nineteen ten. Uh, pretty quaint. Uh, this is what it was. It was a quiet, cheap, reasonable place to live in an otherwise giant city. Uh, most of the people who lived here were Jewish refugees fleeing from Eastern Europe. A lot of them fleeing pogroms and czars and what have you. Uh, it's also important to remember uh, that a lot of these people were doing just well enough to flee uh, the tenements in the Lower East Side, but they weren't super well off. They weren't super well off like Grand Concourse or Upper East Side uh, people. Was this um, wasn't like pretty this, low? De- yeah, this wasn't like some Mrs. Maisel households. This is no, yeah. no, 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 no. Uh, uh, the, the, all these people walking around, I just see them all being like, "I'm gonna have a great grandson named Danny. I'm gonna have a Danny one day." <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, actually, that's funny because my grandmother grew up in Sunnyside, Queens, but that's a different story. Uh, <laughs> Uh, point being, uh, it was a pretty low density. There was only 441 people per residential acre. The yeah, L. It's New York low up. density, of course. No, no. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's very relative yes. here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keep, yeah. It, keep that in perspective, people. Um, 
There was an L. There was a train, uh, and it was a boon for people who lived there because they could very easily get down to the garment district to work. Uh, that was the IRT White Plains line. Uh, Crotona Park, which I mentioned before, was right there. It was a huge park given the overall size of the neighborhood. Uh, the Bronx Zoo was one stop away. The Botanical Gardens were very close. Uh, this community also was fairly progressive for this time. And because a lot of them were older, um, they actually had <gasps> socialist, communist, and American labor ties, too. So Uh-oh. we're talking about there we go. actual, yeah, actual dyed-in-the-wool uh, uh, communists. I mean, you know, there was like were, a, it was a very common thing in working-class neighborhoods around this time to have, like, newspapers no no real access to english language newspapers and the only newspapers you had were like you know languages in it like they were like newspapers in a different language and generally socialist or communist sympathizing yeah i mean it was uh it was a far cry from you know the kind of news landscape we had today and i mean it's important to note that it was like it was it wasn't fake you know it was, it was like real true people with these actual beliefs you know mm-hmm. also um when landlords were first setting up the land in east tremont they were buying it for two dollars a square foot so the high-end rent for one person would be and this is the highest at the time high-end rent would be 100 dollars per month for a four-bedroom apartment <laughs> uh also, sounds good i'm in yeah. When, yeah. When can exactly. I move? <laughs> yeah. Um, there was that was also the high, that was the high end. One person uh, noted in the book, Cell uh, Sherman, she was paying sixty nine bucks a month. Nice. Uh, nice. For nice. a for a three bedroom apartment with a living room, kitchen, foyer, and dining area. So this is a affordable place to live. Nice place. And, you know, I'm. I, ne- I mentioned earlier in the podcast as well uh, the concept of integration. You know, later on in the 1950s, um, there were a lot more Puerto Rican and black people moving into this area. And of the time, you know, white flight was rampant. If if brown people moved into a neighborhood at the time, uh, the white people would flee. Um, but that was not the case with East Tremont, um, whether it was for financial reasons or what have you. People were just like, okay, I live next to a brown person. Who fucking cares? In general, yeah. we can. In general, working class people are more likely to live in integrated communities, and that's yeah. and that's still generally yeah. true today. Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, like, it's impossible to say what everybody's viewpoints on it was, but I mean, you can kind of look at this neighborhood that was, you know, started out as a largely Jewish community, um, and instead of being fucking racist, they were just like, okay. We'll just be chill. And uh, it was very successful in that right. And this all came to a screeching halt uh, and on December 4th, 1952. Uh, so on this day, a bunch of people got letters from Robert Moses saying, hey, just wanted to let you know that your house is in the way of my road, so I'm condemning it. You have 90 days to move. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, guess who's he- moving? You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's you. And you said it was December 4th? Uh, December 4th. That's so, yeah. Smack <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Coincidence? I think not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, this is really where we start kind of getting into the grift and graft uh, and the, in the sort of light crime. 
Uh, because first off, the 90-day notice, complete bullshit. Uh, oh, yeah. I got a quote here. Uh, at the time, Moses had sent out a letter uh, to the East Tremont neighborhood stretch, and this part of the expressway was nowhere to be in sight. Uh, it would not be there for months, if not years. Uh, the city had not even acquired title to the property yet, and there were months of procedures necessary before it could even begin demolishing. So the use of a 90-day figure was a, quote, uh, a, quote, scare tactic to shake them up and get them moving, a Moses aide later explained. <laughs> uh, so the people who were living in this area and were in the middle of what would be the Cross Bronx uh, eventually were like, well, we should look into this. We need to look into what's happened to other portions because parts of this highway have already been created at this time. So they went west. And uh, they found stuff like this. Uh, next slide, number 18. Oh, my God. Quote, yes. Where once apartment buildings or private homes stood were now hills of rubble decorated with ripped open bag bags of rotting garbage that had been flung atop them. Huge bulldozers and earth-moving machines rumbled. A small army of grime-covered workers pounded in pride over the rumble of bulldozers came a staccato of jackhammering and occasionally the dull concussive sound of dynamite, end quote. So the crazier part is that there were people still living in buildings adjacent to the work had a, that had started in other portions of the highway. Uh, apparently, Robert Moses had set up relocation committees or something to that effect, and that they had just ominous. moved people. Yeah, 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 dude. It's it's totally honest and uh, and cool. Uh, <laughs> and they sent people to live in old demolished houses or places that were right next to destruction. Um, so you had people, and and there were these were apartments where that had almost largely been abandoned. All the copper wire had been yanked out of the walls. Wait, hold on. Um, didn't and, they, they relocated them and didn't give them like pay just payment? Did they pay them to move? Because that's a isn't that like an eminent domain thing? Well, yeah. I, well, I probably paid the building owners. They didn't pay the tenants. Uh, right. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The re if you were a homeowner, you would potentially get money. Uh, if you were a tenant, boy, oh boy. Uh, Shit out of luck. Yeah. <laughs> Got to go to. What you would get. Got to go to like were, chief, uh, chief eminent domain tenant uh, commissioner Robert Moses. You know, <laughs> yes, yes, precisely. Um, honestly, what would happen is uh, they, you know, Moses would set up, you know, quote unquote, tenant relocation committees. And what that meant is that a person would go to a building that was often only open for two hours a week. And then they would talk to a person who would basically threaten them and say, OK, we'll give you two hundred dollars to get out of your apartment this week. Uh, if you don't get out of it this week, we'll give you a hundred dollars the following week. If you don't get out of it the following week, then we'll only offer you 50 bucks. Oh my God. Uh, yep. yeah. So he, he basically pushed people out, um, and made it feel like there was no other recourse for anything. Uh, next slide. And lots of the relocation assistance just involved moving people into buildings, which were also in the way of the project, which the, uh, city or triborough happened to own. Um, yes, yeah, and they just yes. sort of shuffle people around until they drop out of the process and they don't have to worry about them anymore. <laughs> yeah, they 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 paid as little um, mind to them 
as they possibly could. And of course, the entire time, Moses is saying like, let it be known that New Yorkers appreciate the ability to have be told things the straightaway and truthful way. And we will assure all of you that everything will be dealt with in a straightaway and truthful way. And he's just lying. Like he's just, 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 you know, lying. He's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice, just straight to their faces. Um, uh, on slide 19, you'll see here, uh, the truly dumb part is that all this could have been avoided in many ways. You could still create the cross Bronx expressway without causing this much damage because there were studies independent of Robert Moses that essentially showed if you move the route two blocks South, you would save 1500 apartments and there wouldn't be this weird bulge in a otherwise straight road. Um, the, there were hearings on whether or not this would be approved, but Moses basically strong armed every politician and the Bronx borough president into agreeing into his plans uh, and the other thing is there could have been a full-on legal battle to stop this section of the Cross Bronx from being created, but nobody who lived there was a lawyer. You know, the costs would have, uh, there were people willing to uh, represent them, but they were quoting them at $10,000. Are you kidding me? To, Isn't that supposed to be, yeah. that should be pro bono for stuff like that. I mean, there weren't there weren't lawyers living in fucking tree east tremont at the time so other yeah. people were like yeah we'll represent your case but it's going to cost ten thousand dollars 1950 money so because <laughs> i remember i remember hearing just in the little that i know about robert moses about one of his main antagonists was named jane adams is that right or is that jane right? jane jacobs yes. jane jacobs jane, jane jacobs. jacobs yeah, yeah. yeah. jane adams um the the i just dream about that woman the the second first lady that that, that's who i was thinking of common common mistake but jane jacobs she uh was she basically stopped the west village from getting the east tremont treatment is that right yes yeah yeah it's actually funny the book doesn't talk about that almost at all yes uh (laughs) yeah this is something that that carl completely skipped it's like a major chapter and it's like oh it's not it's not there it's not in this book why yeah i know it's i don't know i mean i I guess for what it's worth it was a somewhat recent development but uh yeah he just he just focused on uh other stuff because i mean i mean it is important to note that you know like i said it it is the exception to the rule that robert moses doesn't get his way like he always gets his way the only reason the midtown expressway that we were mentioning earlier didn't get made is because somebody wanted to change it a little bit. And instead of getting to make his highway, which he could have made, Robert Moses just said, well, fuck that. If I can't have it exactly this way, it's not getting built. Like it was just pure, pure chance that the Midtown Expressway didn't get made. Um, wow. But yeah, so yeah, um, there, there could have been a legal battle to stop this. And Robert Wagner, who eventually became the mayor while this was going on, literally promised the people of East Tremont that he would try to he would stop this. Um, and then Robert Moses told him, quote, the city is not going to make that decision. The city pays only half the cost of land. It is federal and it is state money that is involved. And I represent these officials. If you try to move this expressway, you'll never get another nickel for us, end quote. Um, and that's like how he functioned as a, as a person. He would threaten people by saying, ruining, by basically ruining the possibility of people's political careers and 
Another big thing he would say is after something had already been partially built, if somebody wanted to pull out of it, he'd be like, oh, what? Oh, oh, what? You're just going to leave this half-built thing? People aren't going to like that. People aren't going <laughs> to like that. We, we need to spend hundreds of millions of more dollars to finish this. Like, uh, those were constant threats of his. What accent uh, was that, Danny? Was he, is that, is that, is uh, Connecticut? Is that a Connecticut accent? Yeah. <laughs> the only, only, uh, only moral uh, thing we can do is to tear down another thousand people's houses. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, um, and, uh, this is actually, uh, where the conspiracy, uh, or the more conspiratorial part of this happens because, um, uh, there was the option, like I said, for them to move this route two blocks um, south. So it would basically go right up against Crotona Park. And the problem with this for Moses is that it would have run into the Third Avenue bus transit depot at the time. Oh. Uh, and the problem with that is that transit company secretly told Moses that it did not want to have that condemned. For it was very strategic for its buses, and it was a long-held open secret that the Bronx political circles had interest in that depot. Uh, it is also speculated that Bronx Borough President James Lyon owned property along the alternative route. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, that didn't, yeah, that didn't happen. That's the grist. January first night, January first, nineteen fifty-four. City, the city proceeds to turn the water and power off on anybody who is not vacated or who can't vacate. Uh, and keep in mind, a lot of these people who are living in these apartments were old. So they were born before Social Security happened, and they had no other choice. They had to stay in their apartments. Um, that said, once the top floors of places were vacant, Moses would often proceed to tear the roofs off of houses that people were still living in <laughs> on the lower floors. Uh, Single-handedly? Vandals. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he ripped it off with his very strong hands. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> yes, swimmer's hands. There was a ton of vandalism, a huge amount of rodents and mice and, uh, and rats and what have you. Uh, there was a bunch of crap on the ground as well as many dust storms. And grime that caused apartments around them to become demolished. Uh, so everyone is kicked out of their houses that they didn't need to be kicked out of. What ends up happening to the Cross Bronx Expressway? Well, um, first off, Robert Moses, in typical fashion, wildly underestimates the true cost of it. Uh, when it was being planned, he said it would cost $47 million. Uh, it actually cost $250 million. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, uh, which is two point seven billion in twenty twenty money. Um, and um, yeah, Justin, you probably know a little about this. This was another big Moses tactic where, uh, very very often he would go into commissioner hearings, uh, park meetings, anything like that, and say, "I promise that the taxpayers of the city will pay zero dollars," and then they would pay like fifty million dollars. <laughs> uh. He loved, absolutely loved, uh, saying that stuff costed way less than it actually did. Well, I mean, one of the one of the things is since he's uh, working under the um, uh, as a public authority, if he has cost overruns, that's good for him. He can uh, he can take out so he can issue some more bonds. You know, he can mm -hmm. uh, he can start tolling stuff. That actually means more money for him if he spends more money. 
I, I mean, the, the way the way he manipulated the structure of the public authority to just allow him to print his own money uh, was, you know, incredible. Um, you know, again, I wish we had. You know, sometimes I wish we had these people on our side. I, <laughs> yeah, and they could issue, no, it's it's like his authority. He could he could issue debt, which is a pretty amazing thing, right? Like it's yeah. not not yeah. every like the MTA. I don't think can issue debt. Uh, no. Or wait, am I, I wrong? Think, well, I think they can. Well, I mean, Triborough was absorbed by the MTA at some point, so presumably they have it did. some okay. power. Yeah, it did. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it was. It was. It was essentially. It, I mean, he did sort of operate as his own little mini version of modern monetary theory. Yeah. Because <laughs> he. Because <laughs> he. He was just able to be like, yeah, I can. I can literally have up to. I think at the time it was like 500 million in potential uh, debt because that's what he was able to issue to himself. And uh, in 1940, 50, 60, you could build a lot of shit with $500 million. Uh, And it's also important to remember the man has no concept of money, even though he's rich, he hates money. He doesn't like to think about it. He doesn't like to think about what it means in society uh, I mean, there was it was actually well documented that like into his 40s and 50s, he had lots of money troubles because he lived these extravagant lifestyles. He lived in mansions. He sent his kids to private school. He had to have the best. So and, and that absolutely, you know, just floods into his building style. He just was like, I, I, what's what's 50 million dollars? I don't I don't fucking care. Like, I don't I don't know what that is. Um uh, next slide, number 20. Um, construction on the Cross Bronx was also a nightmare. Uh, East Tremont is a very hilly neighborhood. And when you're building a road, there has to be something called grade crossings. Uh, I'm mostly unfamiliar with them, but it's my understanding uh, that when you um, are making a highway, uh, you want to have the road to be as level as possible. Um, and if it isn't, it just messes up traffic. Do you know more about that? Justin? So, so like, uh, okay. So the grade is sort of the surface on which the highway sits. Right. So, yeah. and sometimes grade refers to, you know, sort of the amount of slope in the highway. Okay. So you might have a 1% grade. That means you go up one foot in a hundred feet. You have a 2%. That's two feet and a hundred feet, so on and so forth. Right. So if you're mm. building in a very hilly neighborhood and these freeways, you can't really go over like five, 6% grades. So you gotta, you gotta really start doing lots of cuts and fills, you know, start blasting, uh, all this bedrock out of the way, which is a big problem in the Bronx. Um, you know, if you go through, you go through the cross Bronx expressway, there's just these massive retaining walls, you know, and it's like, mm-hmm. you're, you're going deep underground, but then you're immediately on a bridge. You know, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's definitely a feat to drive a highway through this area. Um, to say nothing of all the people you need to displace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a bit of a logistical nightmare, which dovetails perfectly into my next slide. Number 21. Uh, it's time to break out the dynamite, folks. Uh, first, quote, first you heard the sound, and then a second later you felt the tremor and rumbling of the earth, end quote. Uh, Me essentially, Rob... Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, uh, essentially, Robert Moses bombed the shit out of 
underneath East Tremont. Yep. Uh, people <laughs> likened it to living next to an air raid. Uh, people's houses, houses that were not supposed to be demolished, actually began to develop cracks in their foundations and the facades and had to be evacuated. Uh, another thing that uh, happened was the dust. Uh, all the blasting and construction made a fine particulate uh, and it blanketed the neighborhood. Uh, it made it impossible to ever feel clean. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but inhaling fine dust is really bad for you. Uh, yes. I, yeah. Now I don't you know. Have me. you ever, uh, Dustin, or excuse me, Justin, have you ever worked with like dynamite or anything like that or know any of the specifics of it? I have worked on one controlled demolition. Um, okay. And that was a public housing tower in uh, uh, Queen Village in Philly. Uh, I'm the bad guy okay. tearing down public housing. Um, nice. <laughs> and yeah, today uh, when you do like controlled demolition or you do like blasting or something like that, you need all these, you know, you need, you need to like evacuate people out of the area. You need to, you know, set up a sort of cordon line where people can't go further than this because it'll inhale too much dust. You gotta, you gotta move everyone out of the way. But if you're doing like, and that's controlled demolition, which always does a lot of, um, you know, throws up a lot of dust. There's not much you can do about it. If you're doing like blasting, you're trying to break apart bedrock or something. Usually you're, you know, you're setting this stuff off. You're setting the explosives off underneath like a series of extremely heavy blankets is the way they yes, do it now. Yes. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I guess Robert like a, Moses, like a, like a weighted blanket, out. like a, like a boyfriend blanket. Uh, essentially. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah. They would, they, they actually talked about in the book, how there are these, the, what was of the equivalent of these giant chain mail, like blanket, like fixtures that were like huge and they would set off the dynamite and they would just throw them up willy nilly in the air, air, like they were like linen, you know? Even though they weighed tons and tons and tons. When my girlfriend's out um, of town, I get a chainmail blanket to to keep my to keep myself snuggly. Uh, one of the biggest uh, parts of the Cross Bronx, as it existed after it was uh, constructed, was how um, you had communities still on either side of it, but because it was like this large gash going across the Bronx, uh, you had you know nineteen sixties era trucks just uh, trying to run across it and just backfiring all the time. With like a populace that essentially um, always heard the highway, just blasting them with sound, um, and uh, it was also again, like I said, uh, 1960, so unleaded gas was not gone yet. Yeah, <laughs> or, or to say the least, not here yet. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, from this, the the community it devolved, it became shittier and shittier. Uh, worse people moved into the community there were muggings uh, increased assaults uh the families that did live there basically got scattershot to all corners of the city or not <laughs> yeah yeah some of them were you know uh, it's it's impossible to tell but you know there's very likely people that died from this situation because they couldn't live in stable housing anymore um and it was just all for this kind of inefficient road you know, it was not good at what it did and it destroyed this community and it was just all so this guy could never actually drive a car. <laughs> that was, you know, um, and that's, you know, that's my, <clears throat> excuse me, that's my, my, my denouement on, uh, on the presentation 
as a whole, but you know, if you think you have any, uh, well, muchas, any kind of thoughts on it, well, muchas I'd, gracias. I'd love, I'd love to hear them. Muchas gracias for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, I, I, it's really interesting to kind of just go through the specifics. I'm glad I really like to focus just on East Tremont as a neighborhood because it's like, it's hard to wrap your head around something as, uh, all encompassing as like Robert Moses's career. And just really focusing in on just one neighborhood, you know, this like working class integrated neighborhood um, that that spawned a genius uh, two generations later uh, is just kind of it, it, it was helpful to kind of like look at the yeah just kinda, just look at look at the machinations of how it worked and uh it's a it, yeah it's a crazy story man when I I uh I used to live in Minnesota and there was a neighborhood in St Paul Minnesota uh called the rondo neighborhood that had a similar fate as east tremont it was like a uh, black middle class neighborhood in saint paul you know um kind of uh pretty re- like reasonably middle class and then they decided to build the highway to go right through that neighborhood uh and yep. it, that just cut through i mean they literally just decimated the entire neighborhood and it just does not exist anymore and so there's like a little now, or when I lived there, at least there was just a little, like, uh, what are those those streets that are just right next to the highway? Those like emergency streets or whatever. And yeah, they named yeah. one of those like Rondo Way in in memoriam to of this of this of this like neighborhood that was just completely decimated by this stuff. And all these and like then all the folks like all the black folks in that neighborhood they lost all their wealth and. Then had to, yep. and oftentimes would go hand in hand with building these sorts of highway projects is building projects and housing projects to go along mm-hmm. with it to house these people who now have lost everything. And so you're putting them in, you'll be put, putting them in, in the projects basically. And that's kind of, it, it's just a wild story of, of expropriation of wealth and plunder. Like I deliver, I deliver to, you know, the projects now in section eight housing and what have you. And I think a lot of times people, that people, you know, they have this very sort of um, like demeaning kind of uh, attitude to, you know, um, housing. What I mean is, is that like, if you take people and you put them in a situation where they are not able to live with dignity, it's like, they're just going to get stuck. Yeah. You're just going to get stuck in a situation and you're just always going to be in that situation. And whose fault is it that and, they're living without dignity in the first place? But people like Robert Moses. And Robert Moses consulted on a lot of uh, interstate projects in urban areas across the United States. Like he was, he was racking in big consulting fees, like almost up until the day he died. Yeah. Epic. Yeah. That was another, <laughs> that was another aspect. It's like, I mean, I'm at, it's so funny too, because it's just like, look, man, you're just paying this guy $60,000 so you can tell him to, so you can believe that it's okay to build a, a neighborhood through a black neighborhood, or yeah. excuse me, a highway through a black neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Building a neighborhood yeah, through uh, a black neighborhood is what we do now. That's gentrification. That's a different story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think it's important to notice or to recognize as well that the development of the automobile in the 20th century um, played into this 
um, a lot as well. You know, right. um, there's a lot of stories in the book where Robert Moses would uh, make a redone version of the Broadway Bridge, or he made the Tribro Bridge. And what happened is the bridge would get made, and it would immediately fill up to capacity. So you'd have people who were where it was just sort of like, okay, we just spent six years building this thing, and it's already completely utilized in terms of the amount of cars that are on it. And I think the important distinction is that instead of seeing that and saying, okay, there needs to be multiple options here for people, you know, it's the 20th century, it's going to be really difficult for you to completely eliminate the development of the car, but you can at the very least consider public transit as one of your options. And again, it's important to note that he did not do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he fucking hated trains, uh, you know, all his life. And uh, he just absolutely um, despised the idea of allowing poor people to get anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't there where they lived. And um, climate terrorist. Yeah. This is, this is a climate terrorist right here. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, that's it. Um, if you have any, if you have any closing thoughts, you know, feel free to say them uh, and let you know, let let you know, let, let me know what's up, Justin. Anything you want to plug? Yeah. Uh well, you should listen to my podcast. Well, there's your problem. Uh, you should watch my YouTube channel. Uh, Do not eat zero one. I think it's zero one. I don't remember. There should be a new video <laughs> coming out soon. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, we're fantastic. Talking about. Um, Mostly stealing indigenous land. It's going to be fun. Uh, <laughs> oh, what a fun topic. I know, right? Stealing land, stealing money, stealing people. We're going to steal all the shit. Uh, it's going to be, yeah. I don't know if fun is the right word, but. Uh. It'll be very informative. Yes. Uh, none, nonetheless. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, thank you for being a part of uh, this. It was uh, it was it was a lo- lovely to have you, and I'm glad you could be here. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Justin. Appreciate it. I, I'm I, I was glad to come on. You know, when I wasn't having my internet cut out. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Sweet. Thank you so much. Thanks. Uh, and oh, we no will problem. see you later, y'all. Bye bye. All right. Bye. bye.